six fleas, and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Let's stand together as we worship and sing, Holy, holy, holy. <clears throat> seem to be in a constant struggle battling sin every day but the good news is is that in the Bible it says is that if we confess those sins they will be forgiven please join me with this morning's prayer confession all-knowing God and living Lord we come before you 
confessing our sins and the gaps in our faith that settle for less than what your glory has in store for us. We admit there have been times the world convinced us that our desires could be fulfilled by its shortcut, and we fell for it. There have been other moments we have found ourselves too prideful to admit our sins, so we made excuses for our choices and blamed others. God, open us up and take away the fear of being changed that holds us back from knowing you more deeply. Reinforce to our minds that it is in your intimacy with you we experience real life and true joy. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we boldly pray this. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sin as far from us as the east is to the west. Our guidelines for living this morning also comes from Psalm 103, verses 1 through 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is, in, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and, for, and forget none of his benefits. Let's continue our worship then, and if you can, stand and let's sing, Bless the Name of the Lord.
share? I Surrender All was written in 1896 by Judson of W. Van Deventer. The music was composed by Winfield S. Wheaton that same year. The scriptural reference is Mark 10, 28, after the story of the rich young man who wanted to know how to inherit eternal life. The disciples were reminded that all things are possible with God. Peter responded with, we have left everything to follow you. Father in heaven, we just give you thanks for the privilege that we have to give to you. The many blessings in this life that you provided us for, food, clothing, homes, cars, and also climate conditions, Lord, that we can set air conditioners and turn heat on. Lord, we just are so blessed. God, take these gifts as we give them to you in your glory, Lord. Just use them for your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs>
just talking for the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for all the blessings that you do give us. And for the wonderful things, Lord, that you provide for us. And Lord, when we think of all that you do for us, it's not hard to surrender. And today, Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this great country we live in. Pray that our leaders understand that and that the people understand it. I pray also too, Father, for those brave men and women who protect us, keep our democracy secure. It's a very valuable thing, these freedoms that we have. And today, Heavenly Father, too, we come to you with many concerns on our hearts, things that are happening in our world. We pray also, too, for those in our congregation who are battling difficulties and illnesses. I think of Brother Frank and how he is uh, battling the Lord right now in hospice and taking every breath that he can. I pray also, too, for his dear wife who ministers next to him. I pray for Lucille and for Kay and for Mary and Joyce and all their health issues that they're going through. I thank you for Luann and the surgery she had and everything is going well. I pray for her husband too, Don, who is still healing from his back surgery. I pray also too for the um, people that we know that um, have had difficulties in their life. I pray for Susan Burns as he goes tomorrow for surgery. I pray for a friend Randy who is going to have surgery in Kansas City for his cancer. Pray also, too, Father, for my brother Tom, who um, had to have a um, pacemaker put in as they found out before he was going to get operated on for his leg. Pray also, too, Lord, I thank you for my brother, Al, who, uh, by your providence, guided the doctors to look deeper and that they found that he needed a stent. And we give you praise for that, Lord. We thank you also, too, Lord, for other blessings in our lives. I pray for a, a doctor right now who's got a difficulty over his head, and I just pray that you'll be with him and give him guidance and wisdom and give him peace and patience in a very difficult time, Lord. And just lift him up and, and strengthen him, Jesus, and his whole family. And now, Father God, too, I pray for those that we know that are battling addictions, for Ryan, for Jordan, for David, for Brady, for Eric, for Ricky, for Mitch. Lord, I just pray that you'll be with them and that they will see the light of your glory and that they will drop their addictions, Lord, and they will find healing for their lives. And now, Lord, I pray that you'll minister your Holy Spirit to each one of us, that we'll get something out of this today that we can use in our lives and that the power can give us strength and conviction. And it's through you, Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Oftentimes we hear in the business world especially talking about paradigm shifts. What a paradigm shift is a paradigm is a group of values and things that people hold to. And what happens is, is that sometimes it takes something radical to change those values within that paradigm. Sometimes it happens in cultures. Right now we are in this midst of this tremendous um, try to make a paradigm shift in our own world. The critical race theory that many schooled have rejected but are still trying to be forced to do it. And what they're trying to do is undermine all the wonderful things that happened in this country. And there were some bad things. 
But for the most part, the foundation is being taken out from under it. And this is what the, that series does. And in fact, some have held it to um, the uh, theory of the communist and, and um, Marxism. Where what you do is it's kind of like we all saw on TV several weeks ago, this, this uh, high rise that came tumbling down half of it. And then they had to destroy and bring down the rest of that high rise. And what do they do? They put dynamite in the bottom to make it implode and come down. And this is what is going on right now in our, our world and our society is trying to implode our culture and take away everything, not only bad, but good. In our culture and, and, and the wonderful patriots who died for their lives for our freedom and are being looked on um, as, as, as uh, prejudiced people and whatnot. And it's very sad what is being done. And that's what they're doing is they're trying to undermine so they can bring in their own value systems in our culture and change our culture. Well, today I'm going to talk about a paradigm shift that happened with a person by the name of the prophet Isaiah. And it's very important that we understand this is a great paradigm shift. When God reveals himself to Isaiah, it changes him radically. And it makes him the prophet that he wound up being for 50 years for Judah, the southern tribe of Israel. Now, if you remember, Solomon sinned before God. And what had happened was God said to Solomon, because of your father David, I am not going to take the kingdom away from you. I promised him that you would keep the kingdom. But when your son comes into rule, I'm going to take a good portion of it, ten tribes out of your out of his hands, and he will rule over two. And that becomes Israel becomes split. And the northern kingdom becomes Israel, and the southern kingdom becomes Judah. And in Israel there was never a righteous king after that. In fact, Jeroboam was really wicked. And all the kings that followed him were very wicked in the northern kingdom. And they were run over by the Assyrians in 722. And Judah, 150 years later, the same thing happened to them. And what we find here that we see in Isaiah, he ministered to four, five really, kings. In the introduction of it, it says, the vision of Isaiah, son of Amoz, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he lived in the southern kingdom, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Those were the four kings that he ministered unto, but the fifth king killed them. And what we find here is that Isaiah was a powerful leader and influencer. And many people believe he might have been also part of the aristocratic family, if not even the royal family, because of his influence, the ability he had to go in and out of the palace and talk to everybody. And that he had powerful influence. And it's interesting that when the Bible was divided up, that later on, in 1227 AD, a bishop by the name of Stephen Langton, uh, had the Bible broken down into chapters. When Isaiah wrote it, he didn't think, well, chapter 1 or chapter 2 and verse 1, verse 2. No, he just wrote it out. And later on in 1227, when the old Bible was put together, he and Lincoln and his people divided up the Bible. And it's interesting how they divided up the Bible and especially Isaiah. Because Isaiah 
covered basically all those 50 years that Isaiah wrote. But it's interesting that 39 of the books were of judgment and grace. And 27 of the books were about salvation, grace, and law. And it's interesting that the Bible has 39 books of the Old Testament and 27 of the New. And the beauty of this is, is that we see the judgment of God in verses chapters 1 through 39 and the grace of God in chapters 20, uh, uh, 40 through 66, really reflecting what the Bible talks about. And Isaiah, in his prophecies, speaks very strongly about it. Now, there are people who say that the first part of it, they accept as Isaiah, this 100 years ago, scholars, and some scholars anyway, that are liberal, and don't believe that God is this powerful one that doesn't influence us, inspire people to write, and be able to see the future. They said it was by two different authors. But it's interesting that that has fallen aside because we know that Jesus quoted from both of them and both of them he said, Isaiah. John the Baptist did the same thing and he's called them Isaiah said. So we believe that the Bible and Isaiah, particularly the whole book, was written by Isaiah. And that he had the ability to see into the future that God gave him. You see, the prophet, when he prophesied, there's two things. He had two lenses. It's like a camera. One is a close-up, and the other is the long distance. And Isaiah did that. He spoke to Judah right in the day and time that he was in and foretold them or preached to them what was going wrong in their kingdom. But then he didn't stop there. God gave him visions of what would happen in the future. And a lot of these scholars have a problem that chapters 40 through 66, he could have never known that. No, he didn't know it, but God revealed it to him. And it's the real inspired word of God. The second thing we find out in this book that's powerful, and we're giving you a kind of an overview, is that we also see that this vision is so important and, and one of the things he talks about in his book is Satan. And it's the first time in the Bible Satan is called Lucifer. Now, there's two times, Ezekiel and, and also in Isaiah. And he reveals to us why Satan, the angel, got kicked out of heaven because of the rebellion against God and trying to overrun God. And he's revealed that to him in the book of Isaiah. And then also that Jesus also revealed that, that Isaiah said those very words. Then the other thing was, is that how he died. The reason why I said he really served five kings is because the fifth king became Manasseh. Manasseh was the most wicked king in Israel. And, and, and what he had done with Isaiah, as tradition tells us, that Isaiah, he was so sick of Isaiah's prophecies that he took Isaiah, hollowed out a tree, stuffed Isaiah in that tree hole, and then had him saw it in half. 
And the reason why there's many who believe that it came through the Jewish tradition over thousands of years, but also the, the writer of the Hebrews spells it out. And he talks about all the great saints that served the Lord that paid with their life so, so that the gospel and the truth could be revealed. Look what it says in Isaiah 11. There. They were stoned, Peter. And we also know that uh, Stephen was stoned and Paul was stoned. But then also too, they were sawn in two. And it's referring to Isaiah and how he died. Now the other thing about this book is so incredible is that there's a lot of times scholars, especially people who don't want this to be a special book, will come along and say, well, there's errors in it. Well, it's interesting. But back in the time of 1946 and 47, a bunch of Bedouin shepherds are out and about, and they run into this cave. And what do they find in this cave? But they find scrolls. And one of the scrolls they find is the book of Isaiah. In fact, the book is 24 feet long. That's how long the scroll was that he, Isaiah, wrote. And that they find this scroll and powerfully they inspect it. And it has seven what we call as variant letters in the text. Now you would think over 1,100 years difference between what they had and what they found in this cave, that there'd be a lot of differences that describe it, but there were only seven of them, and the seven that were spelling differences, but kept the same meaning. And what we find here is that the word of God is sure, it's accurate. And this pronouncement of judgment and also on what's going to happen is very sure. And we see, we're going to see how it pronounces Jesus is coming to earth and that he's born of a virgin. And all those things Isaiah had in his book. And that the word of the Lord stands forever. But then what we need to look at here too. Isaiah begins in a courtroom, basically. Not like Jeremiah and not like... Uh, uh, Ezekiel, who explained their calling right off the bat in the book. Jeremiah, Isaiah waits to the sixth chapter to explain his calling. And what he begins at is like a courtroom that he's laying out the wrong in Judah and how they need to change and how they have made a mockery of God and how God is upset with them. And he, they have taken the beautiful garden of Israel and Judah that had God had made, and they made it a mockery to God. So much so that that beautiful garden has become a desert. And that judgment is coming. And that God will take care of them. And what they were doing is they were making alliances with the evil Egyptians. So that the Assyrians, who already taken over the north in 722, that their afraid that they need protection. Rather than resting on God and God's assurance to prepare for them, they go over and ask Egypt to help them. And God explodes because they're not trusting God. And it's at this point that he speaks to us today. And notice what he says. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty, exalted, 
with the train of the robe filling the temple, and the seraphim stood above him. Each of six wings, two covered their face, not to even want to look like God. And with two, they covered their feet to be swift to back away. And two, he flew around these angels, and he called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole world is filled with your glory. Now it's interesting. King Uzziah was a great king. He brought great reform and morals into the schism. He restored the, some of the temple. He restored some of the things that they were missing in their culture. And after his great reign, he dies. And all of a sudden, panic hits Isaiah. Panic hits the people of Judah. They're afraid that their new king, who did all these wonderful things, what's going to happen to their nation as Manasseh is moving in? Who's wicked? How many times have you heard it in this political spectrum as I have? Oh, what are we going to do? This guy JFK is moving in after Ike. Oh, no. What are we going to do when this Nixon guy has come in? What are we going to do when Carter, with this Carter? And it happens on both sides of the spectrum. And we're disillusioned by our political standings. And everybody's worried. Worried about Obama? Are you serious? Clinton, are you kidding? Trump, Biden, we could just go down the list. How many people? Ourselves included. But look at what happens to Isaiah. God shows him who's in control. These presidents, these kings are nothing. Compared to this God. And where does he show God at? He's on the throne. He's in control. He is not surprised by anything that's going on. And that he is exalted and above all this. He knows exactly. Nothing catches him by surprise. And what an application for us today. No matter what our political feelings are. That we are reminded that God is on the throne. He's in control. And nothing is happening without his say-so. He knows exactly what we need. What the American people need to hear. He knows exactly what we need. And we need to call out to him. And pray to him. We know to know this. And notice what he says. These angels say, holy, holy, holy. Three times. Never in all the scripture does any other attribute come out. Mercy, 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 or grace, grace, grace. Never come out that way. But God, in first and foremost, is holy. And he emphasizes it three times, these angels do, because that God is separated from us. He is so different from this world. And he's in control. He's sovereign. And he is above all else. He is holy. Set apart. Very different than the world. Utterly pure. 
and perfect. We hear the word holy and we think of people walking around in robes and beards. No, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the inner purity that is beyond all purity that you could ever know. This is the God. Thirty times in Isaiah he speaks about God and his holiness. 637, the word holy is used throughout the scriptures. But here, it's not mercy, not grace, not love, but holy, holy, holy. That we need to grasp the holiness of God. How so far different that he is. That he changes us just seeing him. And having a vision of him. It changes us radically. And we see that here. It comes to us. And, and when you experience and see Jesus and God in their holiness. It should change you radically. You should have a whole new respect for God and who he is. That we think of his name as pure and holy. That we don't disrespect it. When he says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. He wants us to know how holy that name is. I can remember as a youth pastor and sometimes flippantly saying the man upstairs or the big guy upstairs to try to fit in with the kids or the boys. That's disrespectful to God. He is holy. Totally different. And when we grasp the holiness of God, we begin to see a zeal in us that we want to please him. We pay attention to the details of our life and we want to do more for his glory. We love people on a whole different level. There's a humility and a hatred towards wrong and sin. There's a desire to serve him, to worship him, the desire to pray because we've seen this being that's so far beyond us. It, 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 it overtakes us. This is what Isaiah sees. I love Vody Bachman. He's a preacher that came out of L.A. He was raised by a mother who was a Buddhist. And he came to know Christ Big six foot nine football player, huge. But when he came to know Christ, radical change because he saw God holy. And I was listening to him, you know, I've got these hearing aids that my wife made me get, and she thinks that I still listen to her, but I have selective hearing. But I listened to my, they're like iPod ears, they're great. And I was listening to Vody the other day at the gym. And I love what he said. He said, you know what the problem is in America today? He said, the problem in America today is we've invented the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not offend anybody. Don't tell little Johnny he's wrong and correct him. That might affect his self-esteem. Oh, Johnny... What are you doing? Stop it now. Don't offend. 
When a friend says something to you about God or does something, do you tell them? Or you just back off and sit there silently? He says, that's the problem. Nobody wants to offend anybody. Nobody wants to look like the bad guy when they're really the good guy and loving that person to set them straight and put them right. And then, <laughs> and, and I know, nobody likes to be righted. You know, my wife loves to write me. I've been in driver's school for 48 years. And, and I also, you know, I'm walking out of the house one day, and she says, Dave, you're not going to wear that. We're going to a restaurant. Well, it's got a stain on it. So what? Go put another shirt on. Because she loves me. She doesn't want me to be a fool. Doesn't want me to look like a fool. But then one of the things I love what Bodie Bachman said, he didn't stop there. This is wonderful. He says, when in the world are we as Christians going to realize, and is the world going to realize, not what offends other people. We should be worried about what offends God. That's what we need to be worried about. Because all this stuff is going to pass. But God's word lasts forever. And it's going to take people down. And people need to realize it's offensive to God and he is the final judge. We need to be worried about whether it offended God or not. And so we have this holy, holy, holy part. You see, and once we see God as he truly is separated from everything in his purity and his beauty and his sacredness, then... His holiness reveals to us things about ourselves. Look at what Isaiah goes through here. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filled with smoke, God's presence was there. It's so wild that it's shaking the earth. And then Isaiah says, he doesn't go, wow, this is pretty cool, psychedelic. No. He says, whoa, woe is me. I'm ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live with people who have unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the true king of the universe, of everything, the Lord of hosts. Wow. Now, here we have it. This woe is me. You know, we have worship. And if you notice in our way we do worship here, like every morning on Sunday, we sing a hymn of praise to God. This morning we sang, holy, holy, holy. Do you know why we do that? Because it should set our lives on who we are worshiping, that great and holy God. And right after that, what do we do? We go into confession. Why? Because we've seen this holy God and we look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm undone. Woe is me. 
I'm a person of unclean lips and legs and arms and brain. I'm a sinner. I'm unholy. And I'm before this holy God. And I come and I confess my sins. This is what he does. He says, woe is me. I'm ruined. Because I'm an unclean person. I'm an unclean man. My lips are dirty. We see that all through the Bible. Job does the same thing. We see that happen with Peter. You remember Peter? He's out there fishing and he hadn't caught anything all night. And all of a sudden Jesus comes along and Jesus says, Peter, throw it on the other side of the boat. Lord, I've been at this for 20 years. You're a great preacher, but tell me, you're not, you don't know much about fishing. Throw it over to the other side. And what does he pull in? The boats are so loaded, they're sinking with the fish. And what does Peter say? Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm a sinful man. That's what Peter sees in Jesus. Revelations. We see the elders around the throne, and they see God, and they take these crowns that are given to them because of all the things they did for the Lord. And what do they do with the crowns? They throw them in front of the Lord. Why? Because they know they are so unworthy and God has made them worthy. You see, what holiness does is it exposes our sin. It makes us aware of our pride and shatters it. It awakens our consciences. It stirs our emotions. It prompts our obedience. You see, this is what it does. It makes us to the point where we realize that we, in our self-sufficiency, can't do it. Only God can do it. Only God can cleanse us. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to the cross. Sometimes God has to break us to see that, to see his glory. And he has to bring an event in our life that cataclysmic that wipes us out and, and we find up on our face before God. You think about Moses. Forty years, he was a pretty cool guy. Went to the University of Cairo, was taken by Pharaoh's daughter and given the best education, and for 40 years he was on top of it. Then when he murdered, had to go out into the sheep and take care of them and God broke him for 40 years to finally he could see who God really was and that prepared him finally for the ministry that God called him to Paul the same way three times he prayed that God would take away his thorn in the flesh God didn't why he had to keep him humble and this is the holiness of God reveals when we see God and we see ourselves, it changes us radically. And we realize our need for God. And you see, God doesn't leave him there. And for the first time, we look and it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it. And said, behold, this touched your lips and you iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. 
God touches the mouth that he claimed was unworthy and unsinful. And he cauterizes it and cleanses it. This is what God does to us. God cleanses us with the blood of Jesus Christ. When we fall before him and we give him our lives, he cleanses us. And all our sin are washed away. As we see what happens to Isaiah here. And he's given insight that he's forgiven. Your sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, we see Isaiah cleansed. You see, we have a hard time seeing things God's way because of our sinful nature. And the more we get into understanding God and his holiness, the more we're going to be set free in our hearts and in our lives. One of the passages that probably you have wrestled with, and I have too, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, when we see David has great, great desire for God. And he wants to move. The, 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 the um, Philistines had won a victory over Israel. And when David came, they, they had taken the Ark of the Covenant. And when they took it, they took it to a place. But what happened was people began to get tumors all over their bodies. And David, when he became king... That was brought back, but it was brought to Abinadab's house. And Abinadab was getting blessed to have the ark in his home. But David wanted it, and he had a great thought, a godly thought, we think, to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. And David meant well. But something tragically happened. Even though David had the right attitude and the right desire, he really didn't check out the right way to do it. And what happens is they put the ark on a, a cart that an oxen was pulling. Rather than the way it was supposed to be transported was the priest holding up with poles and walking to take the ark wherever it went. And David did not respect that because he didn't think of it. And as it was going along, the ox stumbled. And a guy by the name of Uzziah, who also has good intentions, sees the ark falling towards the ground and grabs it to stop it, and he falls flat on his face dead. God strikes him dead. And David's upset with God. God, what are you doing? Not realizing what he had done. He had defamed God and the Ark of the Covenant and didn't do it God's way. And Uzziah paid the price with his life. 
And it helps us to see we could have the right intentions, the right attitudes. But if we don't do it God's pure and holy way, we're going to stumble. No matter how much enthusiasm we have, no matter how much hope that we have, if it's not done the pure and perfect way of God, we're going to have problems. And that's what happens. I can tell you times that I started off in ministry with great hope and, and, and good intentions, and it just flopped right in my face. Because I wanted to do it God's way. And here... David is shown that very clearly, very wide open. And you see, Isaiah, so grateful that God has cleansed him and forgiven. David knew he was cleansed and forgiven for all his sin also. And when we finally realize our need for that cleansing and we Give ourselves over. God will forgive our sin. God will take away our iniquities and bring healing to our lives as he did with Isaiah here. But you see what happens once he's cleansed? He has a new heart for God that is so different because he's seen the glory of God. He's experienced God's Forgiveness as he saw himself sinful and God forgives him and changes him. Then we see what happens. His holiness compels him to want to do for the Lord. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, and this is the first time God speaks in this. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us, the triune God? And then I said, this is Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Isaiah is saying, God, I'm giving you a blank check with my signature on the bottom of it. And you use me whatever which way you want. The holiness motivates action, desire, wanting to do the will of God, no matter what. And the world doesn't understand that, folks. They do not understand that. I remember my wife coming home one day from work in New York City. She worked for the Burlington House. It was an 80-story skyscraper. She worked on the 54th floor. And she was a dye planner for them to dye, like if they had an order from the Chinese Army, which they did, and they needed to make certain amount of uniforms for them, they would be given, she would have to figure out how much yardage it would take to make those uniforms. And then send the order down to the place in North Carolina to do it. And she's sitting at her desk one day. And this gal comes walking in about her age and says, uh, do you, I noticed your name is Henyon. I've always wanted to stop by here. And um, do you know a guy that went to Farallon High School by the name of Dave Henyon? She says, oh, yeah, it's my husband. Oh, really? Yeah, I went to high school with him. How's he Good. Did he ever become, did he, he was really religious. Did he become a minister? She said, yeah. 
my wife, she looks at my wife and says, oh, that's too bad. It's like, I guess I couldn't find a job, so I just became a minister. She said, I always thought he'd make a good lawyer. <laughs> oh, that's a great upgrade, isn't it? But here, <laughs> they don't understand. Because you see, when they're not touched by the holy and have experience with God, and he compels us, that neighbor, that friend, that person in need, we, our hearts are warmed. And the love of Jesus comes out of us that, that, that makes us want to do things beyond to those who can't help us. That's the work of God in your heart through his holiness. You're experiencing the holiness of God that he bought for you on the cross. And what a powerful thing when we get that in our hearts and we see God every morning like that, his holiness, his perfection, that he would forgive us and cleanse us and change us. And now, do we not just want to just do whatever he wants? As Isaiah said. And as we look in the book of Hebrews, it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. God is developing that holiness in you. As you grow in Christ and you get a vision of God, that you see him in his purity, in his perfection, and he changes this heart of ours from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And that we serve him. And then when somebody says to you, well... You look a little holy there. Aren't you being a little holier than thou? You should take that as pride. Because the righteousness of God is being bled through you as it bled through Christ. And you're a witness the grandeur and beauty of this God who loves and is holy and holy loving, holy merciful and holy graceful that we could serve him. And that we could be used to love others by him. That's holy. Let's pray together. Lord God, I just thank you for this day. And I thank you for the vision that Isaiah had and he shared with us. Help us to see you every day in your holiness as we start out. And that we live not for ourselves. Not to impress other people or but to impress you and show you in us what your holiness through Jesus Christ has done to us. And it's in your name I pray this, Jesus. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit now and forever.